Do you ever have any pet peeves? Um, do you? How about the people around you that might be in the room right now or those of you who are sitting by someone? Any pet peeves out there? A few? Okay. Uh, how about this? Let me ask this question. Is the person beside you one of your pet peeves? Yeah, exactly. Well, all of us uh, have some pet peeves, and I have some of my own. One of my biggest ones is I never understand why people don't use one of these. Uh, do you know what this is? Yeah, it's a coaster. It's a drink coaster. So several years ago, uh, my wife Jennifer and I invited a college student to stay with us over an entire school year. Uh, to be able to help with uh, their housing expenses, and for us to be able uh, to reach out and show God's love to them. And in order to do this, we actually had to make our study into a bedroom for them. And in that study, there is an L-shaped desk that is one of my favorite pieces of furniture, and we spent about $1,000 on this. And so uh, I love this desk. And uh, enjoyed it, and we would go into that room every once in a while to be able to kind of check out uh, our computer stuff and stuff that was on it. Until uh, one day, I walked in there, and when I sat down, I noticed that there was a water stain on the top of the desk. Now, when I first saw this water stain, I was thinking to myself, where is that college student? So I found this college student and I asked her, I said, what happened? And this was her response. I had to put my drink down somewhere. And I'm thinking to myself, are you serious? Like, that's it. I wanted to strangle her uh, in the midst of that. Well, uh, we went ahead. We got some different solutions to try to figure out how to get the water stain off, but nothing that we did actually got rid of it. And so that water stain is still there today, but there is good news. The college student isn't, and uh, we are glad that they have moved on. Now, uh, let me ask you again, do you have any pet peeves? Uh, are there some things that maybe other people do that just drive you crazy? Is there something maybe that is of value to you, something that you really cherish, and any time that it's violated or misused in some way, it just drives you crazy? Well, I want to pose a question for you this morning, and the question is this. What do you think are God's pet peeves? What do you think are God's pet peeves? I mean, what is it that God loves so much and he values it so much that if it gets violated in some way, he gets ticked off? Well, there's actually in the Bible uh, kind of a list of the things that God hates. So let's take a look at it. It's in Proverbs chapter 6, and this is what it says. 
There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up dissension in the community. So this is what God hates. Let's look at just a few of these. Here's the first one, haughty eyes. Uh, what does that mean? What, what are haughty eyes? Well, haughty eyes are arrogant eyes. Eyes that kind of look down on other people and they see them as inferior. Religious leaders in the ancient world would walk around with haughty eyes saying that they were better than other people. It kind of comes across like this. I matter, you don't. Um, I'm educated, you're ignorant. Uh, It may even be something like this. I'm beautiful and you're an ugly duckling. And so this kind of thing is what God hates. He hates haughty eyes. Next... A lying tongue, someone who breaks a promise, a spouse who breaks a vow, a politician who deceives people. Every time this kind of thing happens, it wounds the heart of God. Next, hands that hurt others. When God gave us hands, what he disvows the most, what what he hates the most is when we use these hands for any kind of violence. Or we use these hands to hold tight to resources for ourselves rather than giving them away to people who are desperately in need. Or when the hands that we have actually put something on Facebook or something on Twitter or something on Instagram that hurts and wounds people around us. God hates when we use our hands that way. Now, when the writer says this, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. This doesn't mean that he has like another thought. He's like, oh, I have something else I want to say. What is happening, ancient writers would write this way because when they said the seventh thing, what they would say is this final thing is the most important And in this list, it's this, a person who stirs up dissension in the community. In other words, people who sow discord, people who violate the community, people who take God's dream of shalom, of, uh, that's the Hebrew word, shalom for peace, and they create conflict between people. Because God's desire is that we would have peace with one another and there would actually be peace in our world. So we violate all of this when we judge others, when we belittle others, exclude somebody, use somebody, manipulate somebody. When we abuse a spouse, when we betray a friend, when we uh, stop the life of an unborn child, when we ridicule a person with a disability, or we engage in human trafficking, 
or maybe worse than all of those evils are when we see these things happening in our world or we're a part of them and we choose not to do anything about it. We just close our eyes and we shut off our heart and we only think of ourselves. Folks, what God values more than anything else, the single thing that He values the most are human beings. So, what does God hate the most then? If He values human beings the most, what does He hate the most? It's when a human being gets mistreated. Every time a human being gets mistreated, it deeply offends the heart of the creator of the world and the judge of all things. And this is true. You see, all of the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, all of the teachings that are there, all of the teachings of the prophet, everything was considered to be God's words. And these were the most ethical kind of words that there were in the world at that time. And then one day, a rabbi walks onto the scene, a guy by the name of Jesus, a teacher of the law, and he takes all of the Old Testament and he comes onto a mountainside one day and he gives a sermon. He gives a teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And at the very beginning of this, this is what he says. Do not think, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to, what's the next word? Yeah, fulfill them. You see, a lot of times what will happen is people say, oh, we can just throw out the Old Testament. Let's just get rid of the first half. We really don't need that anymore. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm not saying I'm going to abolish it. I actually came to fulfill it. And anybody who wants to throw that away and teaches others to do so are the least. So Jesus takes all the ethical teachings of the Old Testament, all the laws, everything from the prophets. He summarizes, summarizes it all into the Sermon on the Mount. And the most brilliant teacher ever stands on a mountainside and in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, he delivers this message. And then he takes that entire sermon and he brings it down to a sticky statement. And he summarizes what is the greatest ethical statement ever. And it's this. So in everything due to others, what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, this is what's true. Every single one of you, whether you're here live or you're watching on the live stream, the truth is, regardless of where your faith perspective is, whether you don't believe in God at all, or you're not really so sure about miracles and resurrection. The truth is, this teaching, everybody can start using it. Everybody can start with this. Because 
you will live the rest of your life. If you tried every single day of every week doing this, the golden rule. Jesus just basically says this. If you're homeless, how would you like to be treated? If you were a homeless person, how would you like to be treated? How would you like to be talked to? How would you like not to be talked to? How would you like to be looked at? How would you like not to be looked at? If someone in your small group was sick or depressed or they had a death of someone in their family, how would you, if you were that person, if you had to be in their shoes, how would you want to be cared for if you were sick or you were depressed or you had lost a loved one? If you had an argument with somebody, what would a golden rule argument look like? Like if you were in an argument, what would a golden rule argument be? When your neighbor is struggling and you can tell they're they're having some issues going on in their life, and you know that if you invited them to church and they heard about the fact that God loved them and they weren't alone, how it could change their life, but you get afraid and you're like, well, I don't want to take that step and we're in Corona right now and, you know, it's this whole COVID-19 and I don't want to, like, step over a boundary. But if you were that person and you were struggling and you were overwhelmed, wouldn't you feel so grateful to have someone come and invite you to be a part of something that God wants to share with them? You see, the part of the genius of the golden rule is this, that we generally focus on how we are being treated. How are other people treating me? How are other people caring for me? Many times, in fact, when we ask another person, uh, how did your day go? As soon as it gets out of our mouth, we start thinking, well, how'd my day go? Like, what about me? Uh, how, how have I been treated? How, how's my life going today? You see, the golden rule is tremendously empowering because it makes you an agent and not a victim. And you begin to start thinking, well, I wonder how they're doing. Uh, how am I treating others? How am I caring for others? How am I living life? And the cool thing is this. The golden rule can be used with people you like, or it can actually be used with people you don't like. I mean, some of you that are Democrats, I want you to know it can actually be used with Republicans. And some of you that are Republicans, it can actually be used with people that are Democrats. And those of you that are independents, you can actually use this for Democrats or Republicans. The truth is, folks, it is a rule that is golden and can be used anytime, anywhere. You can use the golden rule when you're driving. You can use the golden rule when you're texting. You can use the golden rule by not texting when you're driving. We know who you are. You can use it to cross cultural divides. You can use it to cross generational divides. You can use it with people who have a moral or political or religious leaning that is different than yours. 
This is why it's a golden rule. It's not just a rule because most of the times rules tell you don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other thing. But the golden rule requires a ton of imagination. Jesus says, look at your heart and stretch your imagination. How would you like to be treated in every single situation? By every single person who you lock eyes with. You see, the golden rule is a rule in which I begin at the, uh, at the very start by saying everybody else is at par with me. They're not a thing to be used. They have desires, they have feelings, they have intentions, just like I do. And the golden rule begins by you thinking this way. What would it be like to be their age? What would it be like to be in their culture? What would it be like to be in their race? What would it be like to have their experience? What would it be like to have their wounds? Now, here's a tough question. I hope you can do better than the first celebration people, okay? So, so think about it. How many areas of your life can you use the golden rule? How many areas? Yeah, like all of them, right? I mean, Jesus says this. He says, so in, what's the next word? Everything. What is it? Everything. All of you that are on the stream right now, what's the word? It's everything. So in everything, Jesus says, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. In everything. And he doesn't qualify this. He doesn't say something like this. He doesn't say, do this only to Christians. Just do this rule to other Christians. He doesn't say, well, just do this to people who look like you. He doesn't say, just do this to people who believe like you. He doesn't say, just do this to Democrats, or just do this to Republicans, or just do this to independents. He says, do it to everyone, to all others. In everything and everyone, do to others what you would have them do to you. And check this out. Even your enemies. I came to church for this? You mean I'm supposed to do unto my enemies the way? But they're my... I didn't write it. Do unto others, everyone, as you would have them do unto you. And Jesus, this is the cool thing about Jesus. He not only taught the golden rule, he actually lived the golden rule, and he actually went to a cross for the golden rule. Whether it was a leper, a prostitute, a tax collector, a child, the other rabbis walked around with haughty eyes, looking down upon other people, ignoring them. Jesus didn't. Jesus reached out, he accepted, he loved, he cared for every person because every person matters to God. So, you know, folks, um, the problem is we, we just make life too complicated. 
we get it really kind of confused and sideways and we spin our wheels thinking that what should I do with my life? Some of you are thinking right now, like, What's, what should I do with my life? And you start worrying and you're like, well, what if I'm not in the right job? What if I don't get the right job if I leave this job? What if I don't do the right decisions for my kids? What if I miss out on this? Let me tell you this. No matter who you are and no matter what you're doing, do the golden rule. No matter what you do, do the golden rule. Because no life that lives the golden rule is misspent. Regardless of how unimpressive your life might look to other people, when you live the golden rule, your life is never misspent. And no life, though, that violates the golden rule, no matter how well spent their life is, regardless of how impressive it might look, it is never well spent. In the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church, Jesus ascends to heaven and he tells his disciples to start the church. Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, describes his life this way, and I love it. He's talking to a group of Gentiles, non-Christians, and he says this, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went around, what's the last two words? Doing what? Yeah, doing good. Now, let me ask you this morning, how much money do you need to do good? You need none. How much intelligence, all of those of you in the balcony, because you're so smart, um, how much IQ do you need to do good? Balcony people? None. Good, good. Okay, all of you here on the main level... How much talent do you need to do good? None. You know, one of the questions that you'll come to the end of your life is, what's going to be on my tombstone? We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to think about it. But every single person in this room and every single person that's on the live stream right now, this is one truth. We all die. All of us are going to die. So what is going to be on your tombstone? What are you going to be known for? And so Peter is trying to describe Jesus in the best way that he knows how. And when he describes him, he says this. He went around doing good. That's what Peter would have had on the tombstone of his friend. He went around doing good. Now, what does it mean to do good? Well, you do unto others what you would have them what? Do to you. That's the golden rule. You see, the whole reason why you're watching on the live stream right now, and the whole reason why all of these people are here at church today, is because you want your life to change. I mean... We don't just come here to know a lot about Jesus. We don't come here to just kind of 
learn more about Jesus. We don't come here just to study and know more and to memorize all of his words, but we actually come here to actually do them. Like the whole reason Jesus came and died and rose again and started the church is so that we would do the stuff. Like he actually wants you to do the stuff that is in his words. So this week, we're studying the golden rule. So how should we apply the golden rule? Do it! Like, that's it. Just actually do it by doing the golden rule. When? Every day. Where? Everywhere. To whom? To everyone. How? With the power and the help of Jesus Christ. So how do we start? Where do you want to start if you're going to start the golden rule in your life? Where do you start? Well, first of all, you start in your homes. You start with the people that are closest to you. A couple of Saturdays ago, I was studying for this particular teaching. And as I was studying for the teaching, I woke up in the morning and I thought, you know what? I'm going to live out the golden rule the entire day. So when I woke up, I looked at our bed and Jen had already gone downstairs and the bed was a mess. Bad Jen. Bad, bad Jen. Now, this is the truth. Jen makes the bed 99% of the time, and then she pleads for me to make it 1% of the time. But the truth is, I like the bed to be made. I like the pillows to be up. I like to get into a nice bed. And so I was thinking to myself, well, if I like that, I should do unto Jen what I would want. And so I made the bed. I practiced the golden rule. So then I went downstairs. I got to the study where uh, my L-shaped desk with my water stain, don't think I haven't forgot, uh, is there. And I start working on some stuff and I pull out a chair. And when I pull out a chair, I start working on my computer. And when I did, I'm working on my computer, working on this teaching in particular, when all of a sudden my youngest daughter, Shiloh, Uh, comes up, and she just stands, and she stares at me. Now, at first, I'm like, kid, don't you see that I have important stuff to do here right now? And then all of a sudden, she starts tickling me. I'm like, would you just get away? And then all of a sudden, I was thinking to myself, it's Golden Rule Day. So when I was 11 years old, if my dad would have paid any attention to me whatsoever, I would have been so excited. So I was like, all right, I'm going to put this aside, and she wanted to have a tickle fight. So we're tickling, we're getting, we're wrestling. All of a sudden, I have her down, and I'm ready to pin her. And then all of a sudden, in my mind, I have another golden rule thought. If, if I were 11, I would not want my dad to pin me. I'd want to pin my dad. So I flip over, and she starts torturing me with tickling. And then she won. She won the fight. And I thought to myself, well, it is a golden rule living day. Folks, just imagine in your home if all day today you just live by the golden rule. Every marriage, every parent-child 
kind of interaction. If we did this, I'm telling you, infidelity, betrayal, child neglect, broken homes would be no more and sin would pretty much be wiped out. Golden rule homes would just be filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Well, you can do this not only in your homes, you can actually do this in your friendships as well. You can live a life that's a golden life friend. So on that same Saturday, that afternoon, I was going to officiate at a wedding. It was outside, and it was going to be in the upper 80s, and it was going to be humid. And to be honest, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to sweat like a pig. I was going to have this long shirt on and a tie, which I hate ties, and I was going to have to do all of this, and I didn't want to go. And then all of a sudden, I thought to myself, it's Golden Rule Living Day, and if my daughters were getting ready to get married outside in 80-degree weather, I would want the pastor to do the very best he could and that he would have a great attitude doing the ceremony. And so I kind of bucked myself up. I went out. I did the best that I possibly could for God and for this family. And it was amazing to me to watch how grateful the family was. And when the dad, who's one of my good friends, who when he uh, kind of brought down uh, his daughter, and I said, who is it that gives this woman to this man? For about 30 seconds, he couldn't say a word because he's just bawling. And I was thinking to myself, I'm so glad that I worked so hard to do everything well within that. And so the ceremony was done. I got pictures taken with the bride and groom. I take off and I get about a mile away. And I've already practiced, you know, like being a kind of golden rule person to my friend. But I left my binder that had all of my wedding manuscript at the wedding. So I pull into this country, uh, uh, this house that's out in the country and this driveway, and I'm backing up when all of a sudden I hear this bang. Now, it wasn't a big, gigantic bang. It was just a small little bang. So I get out of my car. I go back to the back of the bumper, and I look, and there's nothing wrong with the bumper, but the, uh, you know, the mailbox is kind of leaning a little bit. Now, at that point, I look at the house. No one's at the house. There's no cars. There's no movement. This binder is really important for pastors. Like, you do weddings, and you want to keep that. So I was like, all right, I I don't see anybody here. I'm going to go get my binder, but I'm going to come back. I'm going to knock on the door, and if no one's there, I'll write a note. So I go back to the wedding venue. I go ahead, and I get my binder and say goodbye to the bride and groom and my friend. And I get in my car, and all of a sudden I have this thought. It was only leaning a little bit. Like like no one would know. But then all of a sudden it came back to me. It's golden rule living day. So I drive back to this house, and as I'm pulling up, there's this elderly woman who's standing like this. And she's looking down at her mailbox that is now on the ground. So I pulled up into the driveway, I get out, and I said, hey, I'm the one that, you know, hit your mailbox, I'm so sorry, my name's Chris, and I'm the pastor at Commonway. (laughs) Not really. 
But I told him, hey, my name's Chris, and she explained, hey, my name's Beverly, and uh, I said, you know, it, it's fine. Uh, you know, you don't have to worry about fixing it. I was like, no, 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 I'm going to fix it. And she said, well, I actually have part of the, the post for this. And I was like, no, no, uh, I, I'll fix it. And I was just, you know, very, very intentional in making sure that it happened. And uh, she said, well, that's great. Um, and so on Monday, I knew I couldn't fix it. I can't fix anything. So I called a buddy of mine. He goes out. He fixes it. It cost me $80. And let's just put it this way. I really didn't make any money off the wedding. But I practiced the golden rule. Because you can do it in your homes. You can do it with friends. You can do it with strangers. And I'm just wondering if tomorrow morning when you went to work, what if you actually practiced the golden rule? What if when you walked in, regardless of who your boss is, you practice the golden rule? With every single coworker, even the one that gets on your nerves and you can't stand, what would happen if you practiced the golden rule? Because this is the truth. You have never locked eyes with another human being that doesn't matter to God. And if they matter to God, then they should matter to you. And you should practice the golden rule every day single time. So this week, maybe you'd do that. Because if you practice the golden rule, what would happen is heaven actually would come down to earth and his spirit would flow through you into kind of the being of the other person. And you would live this golden rule out. And this week, I want to challenge you to have golden rule living. Make it a game. Keep score. See how many times you can reach out to somebody else and practice the golden rule. When you go to your small group this week, or if you're thinking about it, you could share with them, this is where I'm struggling with my golden rule living. Tell them a plan that you have to live it out this week. And then just do it. Do the golden rule. And when you forget, and you will, and when you get focused into your flesh or your ego, just go ahead and confess to God, I'm sorry for that. Tell some people in your small group, I kind of messed it up this week. Get encouragement from them. And then receive God's grace. And go out and live a life where you do unto others the way that you would want them to do to you. Are we going to do it? All right. Little week, maybe by the time you leave. Let's pray. Well, loving God, we thank you so much for giving us the golden rule. Help us this week, God, not just to be able to say it, not just to kind of give a rote memorization of it, but help us to actually live it, God. Help us in our homes, with our friends, with our family, with strangers, in our workplaces, even with our enemies, God, to practice the golden rule. 
Jesus, thank you so much for being the ultimate golden rule follower. Thank you for giving the ultimate golden rule moment where you chose to go to the cross in our place. Even when we didn't deserve it, you looked at us and you said, I will do unto them what they can't do for themselves. And you gave your very life. Today, maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, I think Jesus would give his life for somebody who's a good person. Somebody who has it maybe more together. But when I think about myself, the truth is, Chris, I've messed up way too much. I've hurt other people. I've wounded them. I haven't even been practicing the golden rule. And this is what I want to say to you. And this is true. That you don't even have to practice the golden rule for the God of the universe to give you the golden rule, to allow you to receive it. Because He loves you so much. He desires a relationship with you so much that He said, I would actually be willing to leave heaven to come to earth and to go to a cross for you so that your sins would be forgiven for all time and you would have eternal life. And so so today, if you're sitting there and you're like, "I, I need this in my life. I need the one who perfected the golden rule to place it in my life. I want you in my life, Jesus. I I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your second chance. I'm going to invite you right now to simply say a prayer. And it's not a prayer that you say alone, but not only everyone who's here in the church, but also on the live stream. I invite you to simply repeat this prayer after me as we pray it in unity. Just repeat after me. Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, uh, if you said that prayer for the very first time, I want you to know that all of heaven is celebrating with you. You can just go ahead and click on that raise hand button uh, that's on your screen. If those of you who are here said that prayer for the first time, we have a gift for you. When you leave in the right hand corner in the back, there'll be someone there to give you a gift.